change. Change can be good. Change is often difficult. For many, change is hard. Leaving the familiar, turning from the paths that we've gotten used to. For some, change has been forced upon them. Many have had to leave home or all that they've known because of war or economic conditions. Now, some wish for a life that would be constant, without change. Oh, that they may live every day knowing what to expect when the sun rises and when they go down for bed. For them, it seems that uh, change is the only constant. But some, some are longing for change from situations that are unjust, unfair, or unpleasant. For these, it seems that what is constant will never change. Is there any hope that there could be a change? Well, the greatest hope for change that the world has ever known was the birth of Jesus Christ. History itself turned on his death. And life itself changed when Jesus rose from the grave. Christ's death and resurrection opened access to God's mercy to the nations, you see. No longer would God speak only once in a while to one nation or one person. Now, through faith, He speaks at any time to anyone from any nation. Any background, rich or poor, educated or illiterate, male or female. Any who believe in Christ can know God. And not as some distant, scary judge, but as a loving, heavenly Father. You know, 50 days after His death, on the day of Pentecost... The church was born. And it it spread very quickly from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And friends, that was when the doors opened wide for the Gentiles to be included in the people of God. Gentiles like me and you. We're beginning Romans chapter 11 today, in which Paul speaks again of his concern for his own people, Israel. Now, Paul is speaking to a church of Jews and Gentiles, a church that has actually gone through many changes. At its start, The church in Rome was very likely led by Jews. Jews who had known the scriptures from childhood. Priscilla and Aquila, familiar names in the New Testament, they were there. But that all changed when the Jews, all of them, were ordered to leave Rome at the command of the emperor. 
This is actually recorded in Acts chapter 18. Describes it this way. Paul left Athens, it says, and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, the emperor, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. This was around 50 A.D., 50 years after Christ. Now, when Claudius died, Jewish Christians were among those that returned to Rome. But when they came back, they came back to a very different church. For four years, it had been completely Gentile. Completely Gentile. By necessity, Gentile leadership, elders and deacons, had been raised up for that church. And now the Jews came back. All this change, and and even the fact that many Jews had not trusted in the Messiah that was promised, led many people to wonder, along with Paul, as he raised this question in Romans 9, 6, has God's word, has his promise to Israel failed? Now, think back to those chapters that we went through recently. Paul's first answer in chapter 9 is that not all the physical descendants of Israel were the receivers of God's promise. Not all Israel is Israel. And he, he says that God has a right to decide to whom he will show mercy. Well then, in chapter 10, Paul says that Israel stumbled over Christ. You see, they they failed to submit to God's plan of righteousness, refusing to believe the good news. They were, as Paul quotes from Isaiah, a disobedient and obstinate people. So that right here in the beginning of chapter 11, that the natural question then arises. Uh, Romans 11.1 Did God reject His people? Now Paul's immediate answer is by no means. And so we come now to the main point of today's sermon. God has not rejected Israel, but used their stumbling to bring salvation to all nations. God has not rejected Israel, but used their stumbling to bring salvation to all the nations. And we're going we're gonna to look at this in three sections. First, verses 1 to 7, reserved by grace. Secondly, in 7 to 10, hardened to stumble. And then thirdly, 11 and 12, verses 11 and 12, recovered to riches. Those are in your bulletin. You can follow along there, jot down some notes if you, if you like, and join us for a discussion afterwards. Now, God had not rejected the Jews completely. He, he reserved a remnant. That means a smaller number from the whole for the sake of His great name. Paul talked about that before. But let's look at this first section. Reserved by grace. 
Well, the first thing Paul does is to remind the church that he, he himself is a Jew. I'm a Jew. And many of you in the church, he says, are Jewish. So obviously, God has not rejected all of Israel. Because some of us have received his promises. Now, many of the Jews who heard this letter may have recalled even scriptures from Leviticus 26, where God promised not to reject Israel so as to completely destroy them. Or in 1 Samuel 12, 22, where God promises he will not reject his people completely for the sake of his great name. Secondly, Paul then, in verses 2 to 4, Paul points to a conversation that God has with the prophet Elijah. What what, uh, our brother Stephen read earlier from 1 Kings 19. You see, Elijah thought he was the only one in Israel, a faithful one, left. But God tells him, no, I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to bow. God was reserving a remnant for the honor of his name. And Paul connects that history to the present as he's writing this in verse 5. He says, as it was then, so now there is a remnant chosen by grace. Why is that important? Because many in Israel thought that obeying the law would please God. But as we saw last week and the weeks before, that's not God's plan. As Romans 3.20 says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, it's by grace that we're saved through faith. And God's acceptance must be, must be by grace only. Verse 6, because if someone could be accepted based on their works, then grace would no longer be grace. Or in another way to say it, grace would no longer work. (laughs) So no, God does not reject Israel completely. No, he's reserved a specific number of Jews chosen by grace. They are what Paul describes in verse 7, the elect among them. The elect among them. The people of Israel had sought righteousness earnestly through religious practice. But as it says, they did not gain righteousness. The elect among them did. They did receive God's grace. And and therefore, they were declared righteous. Paul is one of those elect. A remnant reserved by grace. And so were the Jews that were in that church in Rome. It begs the question for us. How are you looking to be accepted by God? 
Are you trying to do it based on what you do? Well, my friend, that's not God's plan. Or are you trying to receive and be accepted by, by God through His grace? Now, if you're seeking to know God, I want you to know that He's holding out His grace to you. The question is, will you humbly receive it? Or will you continue to proudly reject that grace because you think you need to do something to be made right with God? Or believer, have you started by grace only now to seek to continue your walk by works? Did you once trust Jesus to forgive your sin And to make you right with himself, but now you're trusting in your work, your efforts to keep yourself right with him. To earn his favor, as it were. Well, if if that's you, if you're struggling with that, I want to commend to you Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. See how passionately Paul defends grace through faith alone. God's elect receive grace. But, verse 7 continues, the others were hardened. Now here Paul touches on this difficult topic that some of the people of Israel were hardened to stumble. This is our second point today, verses 7 to 10. Now this, this difficult, the difficulty of this section is discerning who is the active party to Israel's hardening. Is, is God hardening them or are they hardening their own hearts? Verse, verse 7 actually leaves this question in the dark. It, it could be either way. It could be both. But then you, then you read verse 8. And it brings the answer to that question into a blinding light. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Uh, that, that is to, to be like stunned or, or, or to be like a drunk person. It, he, he gives eyes that cannot see and ears that could not hear. Now we've already said that God has not rejected Israel completely. But he has rejected those that he hardens. Now, it's important to understand that this does not make less the responsibility of them for their own sin. As verse 11 shows, it is their transgression that led to their rejection. Those, you see, rejected by God are not pre-programmed robots. You see, God hardens those who are already sinners. 
Our starting place is not neutral. It's not zero. We are starting far below. Predestination. I just this is important to, to make here. Predestination or election is not predetermination. Okay? It's it's not that Islamic understanding of God's will that he makes makes people do this or that. You know, in in an inshallah culture that considers Uh, It doesn't really matter what I do because only God's will can happen. I once saw some amazing videos of Saudis street surfing, standing in their sandals outside the door as they're speeding along at 100 or 120 kilometers an hour. Why? Why? Inshallah. In a strange twist, you see, people then do only what they will, but then they blame God for it. Now, biblical predestination leaves room for the will of every person. You have a will. But unless God changes the heart, your will is bound in sin. And it will not do what God pleases. So brother and sister, if God is the one who changes hearts, as we have already looked at in previous weeks in Ezekiel 36, He's the one who has to rip out that heart of stone. If that's how it must be. Or if he is the one who hardens. As we see right here in Romans 11. Then how will this affect the way you pray for the lost? How are you going to call on God for those who are not yet believers? You know, in Genesis 18, Abraham pleaded with God over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God welcomed his prayers. He he considered Abraham's cries for justice. He considered Abraham's pleas for mercy based on the greatness of God's name. How are you praying for the lost? Well, these others of Israel were hardened and they continued in that sin-bound will which became like a clay that hardened around them. As, As I've quoted Spurgeon in earlier sermons, The same sun that melts the wax is the same one that hardens the clay. A hard heart does not respond to God's word. It is that hard heart is that that the soil of the path 
that Jesus tells in that parable in Mark's gospel, chapter 4. You know, when the, the seed of God's word falls on that footpath, it, it finds no place to take root. And the birds come and just eat it up. That's what it's like for a hard heart. You know, after telling that parable, Jesus quotes Isaiah also. Paul quotes Isaiah in verse 8. Similar themes. The hardened and those hard of heart have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, do not hear. Well, then Paul goes on in verse 9 to quote King David's prayer in Psalm 69. A prayer for justice. Justice against the enemies of God. He says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Psalm 69 is prophetic. Prophetic of the betrayal and crucifixion of Christ. Many, many times we see this psalm quoted in the Gospels. Psalm 69.21, just, just a verse before this, says, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. John, the Gospel writer, refers to this verse concerning Jesus' last moment on the cross. He says later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, and then, and then concerning Judas. Judas, who betrayed Christ. Peter quotes in Acts 1.20, one of the very next verses in Psalm 69. He says, may his place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in it. So we, we can see the apostles understood this Hardening of Israel had to happen. So what did, what did they understand about this? Why did God harden Israel and reserve only a remnant by grace? Why would God, as it said in Romans 9.33, lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock to make them fall? Why would he do that? Paul gives us an answer in verse 11 and 12 by asking yet another question. Again, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And again, Paul says, not at all. Rather, he says, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Their fall means that we can stand. Their loss means riches for the world. 
And when the full number of Israel's remnant is included, we will be able to say of them that they have been recovered to riches. Let's look at that third section now in verses 11 and 12. A transgression. Transgression is an action that is against a rule or a law. That's what it means to transgress. And throughout Israel's history, they, they did that a lot. They were, you could almost say they were professionals at transgression. But in verse 11 and 12, Paul is speaking of a specific transgression or specific transgressions. Those that brought salvation. These transgressions, you see, led to Christ's crucifixion. And, and all that was in the plan of God. Peter says it this way. Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? Had they understood that Jesus was the author of life, would they have killed him? Would, would Judas have betrayed him? Would the priest have condemned him? Would the crowds have called for his crucifixion? No. You see, their eyes were blind. Their ears were deaf. Their hearts were hardened. But listen, it, it, it's, it's not only their transgressions, the tra- transgressions of those Jews that, that nailed Jesus to the cross. He went there because you and I transgressed His Word. You and I are transgressors. We all sin. My sin, your sin, sent Jesus to a cross. For so rich a salvation as this to be possible, a perfect sacrifice must be offered. But then only God is perfect. Therefore, in love, God offered Himself as that perfect sacrifice to atone for our transgressions. Though All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. For God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood. And this is to be received by faith. Friends, if Israel did not transgress putting Jesus on the cross, no one would have hope to be reconciled to God. But their transgression means riches for the world. The guilt and shame of your sin. And by that I mean all sin, past, present, future. It may be completely covered by the blood of Christ. Jesus' death on the cross is God's full and 
final sacrifice of atonement. Peter continues in Acts 2.24 saying, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Oh, what great news is this, right? Jesus' resurrection guarantees eternal life for all who believe in him. And that's what's so amazing. It's for all who believe. As, as Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? Well, what about you? Have you called on His name? Are you saved? I just, I beg that you would look to Jesus before it's too late. Don't, don't be like those Jews who hardened their hearts in unbelief. In the end, they rejected Christ and they were wrong. And, and hear what my friend coming from Muslim background said about this. He said, you know, rejection does not hurt God. He's not hurt by that. He is going to receive glory in judgment and in mercy. Friend, you can receive mercy now. It can be yours. Romans 10.9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. There's no specific word that you have to say. Like the Shema or the Shahada. What you believe with your heart is what matters. If God has changed your heart. If he's given you a heart that will respond to his word, then this gospel will bring out from your changed heart the faith that saves. It will happen. And it'll be clear. It'll be clear to all that you have a new love for God and a hunger for his word. A hunger for Jesus. Now if you're feeling this pull in your heart to Christ. Talk to me. Talk to one of the members of this church. Talk to whoever brought you here. This gospel is good news. And Jesus was God's plan. He planned. That salvation would be available to all the world by faith. He planned that Christ would come into the world through the seed of a woman. He planned for the Messiah to come through Abraham's seed, the people of Israel. He planned that through their transgression, salvation would come to the Gentiles. That their transgression would mean riches. For the world. For you who believe. I want you to notice that last phrase. In verse 12. 
Verse 12. But if their transgression means riches for the world. Notice that if. If their transgression means riches for the world. And their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Hmm. You see, Israel's transgression put in motion the death of Christ, which provided God's full atonement to all who believe. But Israel is not rejected by God because of that. He has a remnant. A remnant reserved who will also believe in his Messiah. The good news about this, you don't have to become a Jew to follow God. But rather, actually, Jews, those who would be saved, must become Christ followers. And there will be a day when the full number of God's Jewish remnant will be saved. And what a day. That will be, my friends. What great riches will their full inclusion bring for the church? Believer, I want you to consider the riches that you have obtained through Christ. Oh, you you may not be rich now, but one day you are going to walk on streets that are paved with gold. Maybe you don't have a spouse now, but there you will walk with Christ, the glorious groom. You may not have much education now, but then there you will know fully, even as you are fully known. And you will have an eternity to explore the wonders of God and the wonders of the universe. Your inheritance, believer in Jesus, is ready and waiting for that day when Christ comes to bring us there. When the full number have been redeemed. Oh, and what a change. That will be. <laughs> Paul says th- this way. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye. The last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. Amen? It's a change. A change that all the saved will go through. And the change will not be difficult. Oh no. This change will be good. You see, we follow a resurrected Savior. He is not in the grave. Now we know and we can experience now the peace from God that comes with our salvation. We know and we can experience now the love of God in our hearts and the love of God for 
the community of faith. We know and we can experience now the hope to which He has called us. Now. Our hope, our hope, believer, is not in this world, but in the world to come. When God makes everything new, a new heavens, a new earth, uh, there will be no pain, no shame, no tear, no death. We will be there to walk with God, seeing Him and knowing Him, even as He sees us now. Look, friend, if you have not believed in Christ Jesus, I want you to use this time right now to think about what his death and resurrection mean. And I plead with you to trust in him today. And if you have believed, use this time right now to think how your life is lining up with his authority. Is he Lord? Is he truly Lord in your life? Are you hungering for God's word? Do you long for it? To know him and to walk as he walked. Use this time to reflect on that now as we consider this great salvation that came at such a great cost to our Heavenly Father. Let's take a moment of silence now and I'll close with prayer. Father God, we pray right now that we would have a greater vision for who you are, who, what you have done to redeem and save a people for yourself. Lord, help us to see how perfect and holy you are. That none of us could ever reach you because of our sin. And yet in love, you came. You came to save sinners like us. Oh Lord, I pray that you would transform hearts today. Lord, from those that, that, that are stone hard, rip them out and give a, a heart of flesh that they could receive you. Oh Lord, for all our hearts, Lord, let us be continually transformed by your word. Let it work in us that we may be more like you. Reflecting the glory that you've called us to do from the very moment of creation. Oh Lord, we bless you for this time where we get to see this gospel in baptism in just a few minutes. Pray that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name. Amen.